the importance of just taking time off, the importance of prioritizing family. And when you're at work, work your butt off because you're, you're doing it for this bigger purpose. It's not just so that you can get the paycheck, but it's so that you can, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording, so you can do it for your kids. That's where the motivation comes from. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wella, and today I have Sam Schwetz on the show with Mesa Properties based out of California. Sam, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. Happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this episode. You and I have known each other for some time. I've been able to see some of the story arc, not just for you, but also for your company. Mm-hmm. I've known your father for a longer period of time. Yeah. How long have has the business been around and how long have you been in it? Business started in 2009. So my dad's got a pretty uh, normal story, like, you know, started buying properties during the downturn of the market. Couldn't find a property management company. Thought it was doing a good job. You know the story. Starts his own. Um, I, at the time, was in high school, so uh, I was kind of watching him do this. He had a residential cleaning business that he was already running, so he was already an entrepreneur. And so he started you know, getting interested in properties. And I'm like 17 at the time, so I'm not really paying a whole lot of attention. But there were some times he had us go up to some of his properties and paint some fences and do some, uh, some put some sweat equity into those. And he was kind of flipping them for a time and then started holding some of them and managing them himself out of his Ford Ranger. So I was kind of along for the ride, so to speak, a little bit during that time. I joined the Navy uh, senior year of high school. So I leave in 2010 for boot camp, and I'm gone. I'm out of the picture for six years. So that's 2016. I get out, uh, work another job for about a year, and then came on uh, in the business in 2018. And so it's ca- five years. What capacity did you come in on? I came in at the bottom. Well, he, he hired me in to uh, train to be a property manager in the business, and I started out getting really interested in marketing because he had uh, was paying somebody to write blog posts and uh, do the the content marketing for the business. And that really interested me. I kind of caught on to that. So I actually took a turn and instead of learning property management, I started learning content marketing and writing blogs and trying to increase our SEO presence at the time. And what was your mindset and mentality when you came into the business? What were you hoping it, it would be or could be? And what were you trying to, to accomplish? It was a one-year uh, commitment. So I, after getting out of the Navy, I was working for a company that had me traveling quite a bit. It was called Lutron Electronics. And so I was a field service engineer. So I would go around to hotels and mostly commercial buildings, and we would program their lighting control systems. And they got the job at Apple when Apple did their new headquarters in Cupertino. And so they were sending me there. So I was there every week, Sunday through Friday, and it felt like the military again. I'm like, I had just gotten married as soon as I got out of the Navy. I was away from home. I was away from my wife. I was like, this is not what I wanted when I was getting out of the military. I wanted to have something a little bit more stable. You know, I want to be home more. Um, So Thanksgiving time, 2017, sitting around the table with my dad, kind of complaining about it a little bit, thinking like, hey, I want to do something else. I want to go back to school, but I can't find the time because they've got me on the road. I'm traveling too much. And so he said, why don't you come on with Mesa for a year? Uh, You'll have a stable, you know, 40 hour week job. You can kind of learn the business, see if it's something you're interested in. But at one year, we're going to evaluate. And it was most likely going to be, I finished my degree while I was there. And then, you know, shook hands with them and said, thanks for the year at Mesa, and then went and did something else. Um, My plan was to go 
try and be an area manager for Amazon because I had some friends at Amazon that said, hey, get your degree and you're in. So that was my plan. And uh, yeah, here we are five years later, just about January will be five years and still doing it. So what was it that hooked you? What was the experience that you had in the first year that made you determine that this was something you wanted to persist with? Seeing how my dad was doing it. And I, I already knew from watching him with the residential cleaning business, how much freedom it gave him in lifestyle. Uh, and then I was, he was, he was very open with letting me kind of run with it. So as I would be interested in something, he's like, yeah, go figure it out. Like it, I'm not going to handhold you. I'm not going to necessarily show you how to do it. Uh, I'm not even really care to know exactly what you're doing. I just, just pursue what's, in, what's interesting to you in the business and, and see what you can do with it. So that initial freedom that he gave me, the trust that he put in me from the beginning was awesome. I'm like, where am I going to get this? You know, anywhere else. Um, and in return, I was working hard for the business, you know, doing things to try and grow the business um, in, in different areas that I saw opportunity in. And so just that, that flexibility and freedom. And honestly, having been in the Navy for so long, and away from family for so long, um, we we hadn't like drifted apart, but we talked on the phone like maybe once a month. I mean, that was kind of our contact. We really didn't have a whole lot of contact. We always had a good relationship, even in high school. But I really started bonding with my dad, uh, working with him. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, I've, I I have a boss who's really growing me in multiple different ways. And why you know why leave? So you know, I finished my I did finish my degree in that first year. I got a business degree and just thought, hey, what, let's just keep going. Let's see where this goes. And so what is your role now in the company? My title is managing broker. So my dad is uh, more of a, he's, he's taken the, the title of founder, and which is what he is, but um, he's taken more of a mentorship uh, role for me. And he's out of the day-to-day -day operations of the business. So as managing broker, operations manager would probably be a good, uh, you know, other, other title to call it as far as what I'm doing on the day-to-day. -day. So uh, supervising the property managers, running the day-to-day -day of the business. GM, more or less. GM, yeah. And where does the business stand today in terms of headcount, unit count, et cetera? We have 1,100 doors uh, that we manage. There's 25 employees, about 15, yeah, 15 that are local and 10 that are remote team members. What's the percentage members. of properties that are single family? About 85%. And what do you think the average number of properties per owner is ballpark? 1.2, 1.3. So this is really an accidental. 100%. Got it. Southern California market, it's a lot of accidental landlords, at least for us. I mean, the numbers are just really tough if you're trying to come in and buy a property as an investment. People are doing it, but from what, at least what we've attracted has been accidental landlords for the most part. And what is the value prop and the positioning that your company takes in the marketplace? We really sell the family business. So we sell that we were landlords before we were property managers. Um, and, and going back to the fact that when my dad started it, he couldn't find a good management company. Um, but we're really selling that we are, are, we were not just a real estate business that said, hey, property management looks exciting during 2008 when everything was going down. We really built the company from a landlord's perspective from the ground up as landlords. Love that. That connection that you have, that family dynamic that you have, Tell me more about working with family. That's really loaded. And for some folks, that sounds really satisfying, rewarding, heart expanding. And for other people, I'm sure that sounds uh, oppressive, uncomfortable, and like a high stress environment. What's some of the, the nuance and what you've learned about working with family? I've probably learned the most about myself than I've learned about anything else. Um, like I said, always having a good relationship with my dad was helpful. So going into it, I was really concerned that there would be 
we wouldn't work well together, that we would butt heads. And so that's why I think, I think it was important going in that we had that one year where it was like, if this isn't working out, we're going to part ways. We were only committed to a year. Um, but I've learned a lot about how I handle conflict, both with, uh, people that I'm working with that are, uh, not family with family and then with clients and just how I, how I process that and how the relationship with um, my dad specifically has grown through working together, seeing a whole other side of him, him getting to see a whole other side of me and uh, just growing together. Tell me about your background in the military and how that's impacted your work in property management. Yeah. So I w looked at all the branches. It was 2009 and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do in life. And right at the time, everybody was going back to school so all of the degrees were, I think that it was impacted was the term. So it was like, it's going to take me six years to get through a four-year degree. Really had no clue what I wanted to do. Just thought that I needed to get a degree in order to be successful in life. So I was like, well, I guess that's what I do. That's what all my friends were doing. And I was working at a yogurt shop and a Navy recruiter came in and just nice guy and said, hey, have you ever considered the Navy? He started to get to know me, came in a little bit more frequently and stole me uh, into the military. But uh I was, I didn't really know what to expect with the Navy. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I watched a documentary that had uh, on aircraft carriers and I was like, it'd be cool to live on an aircraft carrier. So give me any job on an aircraft carrier. And they gave me the, the test that you take and they said, you can be a nuke, which is a nuclear operator on a nuclear powered aircraft carrier. And I was not a science and math guy at all. I was like looking at getting an English degree thought that I would do something intellectual, didn't think I would be doing anything on engineering at all. And I thought maybe this is a good opportunity if I do go into this field to round myself out and learn some of those more technical things that I'm not as strong on. So I signed up for the nuclear Navy. They sent me to school for two years in South Carolina. It was absolutely brutal, totally uh, changed the way I saw education because high school, I just kind of skated through, you know, didn't have to try all that hard. Then I get into the Navy and it was like, man, I was getting my butt kicked daily uh, by the program. It was 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. was class. And then you'd spend another three or four hours in the evening studying uh, to take the test that they gave you every week. That was about a four-hour exam um, to get me through it. So basically two years in South Carolina and left there as a certified nuclear reactor operator was my job. My title was an electronics technician. And from there, they sent me to an aircraft carrier, which is what my ultimate goal was. It took me two years to get there from when I initially joined, but then I was there. And the nuclear Navy taught me so much about the importance of process. Um, everything that we did was out of a process manual. So there was no, even if you knew how to do your job and you knew how to do it really well, you do not do anything without the manual in front of you. So we would go through, it was literally called the circle X method. So there'd be a step and it would say, you know, turn this switch. And I, if you were the guy that was sitting behind me, I would have to say, I'm going to turn this switch. And you would say, go ahead and turn the switch. And then I would turn the switch. And then I would tell you, I just turned the switch. So it was just so uh, detailed on, on, it took so long to do anything, but that's why the Navy is like the only organization that operates nuclear reactors with a perfect safety record because of that, because of that attention to detail and the uh, oversight that they have and making everybody slow down and always follow the process. So I learned a lot about the importance of that and how you can take somebody who's 20 years old, who just went to high school, went sure got a little bit of theoretical nuclear physics training, reactor theory training, but then can operate safely a reactor um, and a, a nuclear power plant at 20, 21, 22 years old. I mean, it's, it's incredible and it's all because of the process. And 
and just being so true to the process and not deviating from the process, but also making changes to the process if you know something necessitates it. But we all do it the same way every time. And that's where they saw the success. And that really ingrained in me the importance for process and for having um, a specific way that you do things consistently all the time. So a profound amount of skill accretion during that period of life. Tell me about the character development side as well that you experienced going through that. Yeah, I, uh, I had to learn that working hard is, uh, important to do even when you're, you're not necessarily being seen. So just the, you're, you're with a different watch team every time you go down to operate. So there would be a different officer that sat behind me that was supervising, um, what I was doing and, he wasn't necessarily the guy that I actually worked for. So in my division, I have somebody who I worked for, but then the guy who's supervising me was not my direct boss. So working hard in those scenarios, even when there wasn't necessarily going to be the visibility on me of the guy who controlled promotions and, and different positions and things like that, uh, within the division was something that was ingrained in me. And then just learning to lead people at a young age, I got promoted into supervising reactor operators and, I was 23, I think at the time, and I now had to supervise the operation of a nuclear reactor, which was, um, I had never done, I'd never had anybody work for me. You know, I was so young. And so I had to learn very quickly how to manage people, how to, um, lead people and, uh, really motivate them to do well uh, on their own without, uh, yeah. So just learning, learning to, to manage people at a young age, what I think was, was pretty valuable. Could you explain the promotion path within the Navy for those that don't know? I have a little bit of context because of a common book that we've both read called yeah. Turn the Ship Around, but how does that, how does that system work? So it's time-based. You have to have a certain amount of time. Each, each rating with, uh, has a certain amount that can be promoted. So if you are an electronics technician, you may have a certain promotability that an electrician's mate does not. So there's quotas that they have to fill. They have to have a certain level of, or number of people within each rank. So there's uh, evals that go into it, evaluations on your performance. There's a test that you have to take every year. And then if there's a, if there's a quota and you, and you meet these metrics, then you get promoted. The issue is you don't jump, you can't jump a rank, right? I can't go from being an E4 to an E6. You have to do your time as an E4, then do your time as an E5. And I think one of the downsides of a system like that is the people, a lot of time it's just longevity. How long have you been in? That's who's ultimately going to get promoted into leadership because people just get out, the quota's there, you got to fill it. And so people get promoted up, whether they are gifted as leaders or not. Mm. Same is true on the reverse. If you have someone who's an absolute rock star as an E4, that guy's not going to be pushed into leadership. He might take some leadership responsibility uh, within the division, but he's not going to have that rank, that pay grade, um, that unless he does the time. So you have people who get burned out because frankly, you end up working for bad leaders sometimes because they've just been there for so long. And so then you have a lot of people who are good at their jobs and would probably make the military better, get out and go do something else, go into the private sector. And uh, I think it's an unfortunate thing because there's no opportunity to take people who are really good and just throw them up to the top quickly. There's other programs like you can go from being enlisted to an officer and, and things like that, but they take a lot of time, but you would never take somebody who is just an absolute rock star and and push them up several levels. Tell me about the most capable leader that you worked with in the Navy and what you think made them effective. I worked for a, a chief um, who was who was a mentor for me. And I think what made him effective was his interest in my personal life. So he really wanted to know 
all of me, not just the me that came to work because the military is a very stressful environment, no matter what you do. I wasn't in combat, but we're still on a ship out to sea for months at a time, right? You're away from family. You're living in a little tiny rack <laughs> that can barely fit you, much less your stuff. And so he was interested, not just in what's going on on this project that we're working on, how are you as a worker? He was interested in in all of you. And what, what are you doing to develop yourself outside of this? Are you looking at going into being enlisted if you are to becoming an officer? If you're planning on getting out, are you working towards getting a college degree? You know, something like that that's going to better you. So he really cared about everything that was going on with you. And then later when I met who had become my wife, my girlfriend at the time, um, he, he knew her name, which nobody else ever cared to take the time to learn like the names of the spouses or the girlfriends or whatever of the guys. And so just knowing that he cared about me personally made me want to work harder for him. Could you unpack the concept of leader, leader, and maybe talk a little bit about how it can apply both in a uh, PM context, even though the, the context in which I was introduced to it, again, was in the book that was highlighting uh, the Navy and, and how it had been used to turn the ship around specifically for one underperforming unit that was really able to transform its performance. So I'm, I'm a little bit rusty on like the specifics of defining leader, leader, but taking what I remember specifically from that book was empowering people to make decisions on their own and come to you with solutions. So one of the things that he trained his people to say was I intend to not, Hey, I have a problem. What do I do? I need help but coming to them with a solution and saying, this is what's going on. So uh, there's a leadership ownership that happens at every stage within the organization. So in that case, it's the Navy. So whether you're the lowest guy or the top guy, a lot of the way the Navy is so hierarchical that a lot of times you have to get approval from one specific person. In our case, it was almost always the reactor officer who was the third in command on the ship. Some things he had to push past, past to the executive officer or the commanding officer. But instilling that ownership into each level of the organization and getting them to uh, come to you with those solutions and say, hey, I intend to do this. And then there's coaching opportunities that come from that because you get to see the thought process. Well, tell me about what, how you came to that uh, decision to go that direction. Why do you want to do that? And you can draw that out of people. And in doing that, you're developing them because you're making them think about how they think and analyze how they're making decisions and make better decisions as you coach them through it. So not sure if I'm nailing exactly the the leader leader thing, but well, let's port it over to property management. Talk to me about your leadership and management style over the company day to day and how it may be impacted by some of this background. Very similar to what he talks about in the turn the ship around, David Marquette. So taking uh, people and empowering them to make decisions. They have to give bandwidth for mistakes to happen, right? If it's like I can't allow for any mistakes, then one, that's a really exhausting way to lead it because then I want everything to go through me. I have to make all decisions. That's like a recipe for burnout. And it's also, it's really detrimental for the people that are working for you because they're not getting a chance themselves to develop and to grow and to learn how to make independent decisions on their own. So um, what, what I like to do is same thing, come to me with problem and solution that you intend to do, and then I can ask questions or coach you through it. But ultimately, you're the one who's making that decision. And we've structured our, our business in, into the pod model, which I know is common in our industry to, to use the pod model, but we've taken the property managers, which are the leaders of the pod and made them people leaders as well. So the assistant property manager, the inspector, the remote team member that are all part of this pod all report to the property manager. And then the property managers 
you know, I'll meet with them on one-on-ones weekly and, and uh, do some coaching and things like that. Um, but it's really helping to develop the property managers as they're dealing with personnel issues within their own pod. They're learning how to uh, manage people as well. So they're, they're getting developed um, not just in their property management skills, but in their people uh, leadership skills as well. How has the business shifted and changed over the last five years? When we started, when I came on, we we're at about 700 doors and this, it was basically one property manager to a hundred doors. So it was kind of a one man or one woman show, uh, for their portfolio that they managed and they, and they would do just about everything within that portfolio of doors. And now we're at, at 1100 doors, we have three now newly four property managers who are managing the, the, obviously a much larger number of doors. So we've really tried to structure it so that there's growth opportunities within the business. Because before you kind of came in as maybe an assistant, and then you'd be a property manager of your own little portfolio of 100 doors, there's only so much further you can go from there. So by by kind of tiering it and structuring it so that we, we try and hire in as an inspector, which is our lowest position, and have that person learn that role and then grow into an assistant property manager and then can eventually be developed into a property manager. Um, so we've changed the, the total structure of it. Instead of it being the top-down leadership model that he, he talks about in Turn the Ship Around, it's um, much more spread out so that there's leaders within different levels of the business. So now with those pods, it's been really cool to see people come in at the bottom level, starting out just doing basic field work, you know, doing move in and move out inspections and serving notices, and then moving up and becoming assistant property managers, and then eventually property managers who are now managing people. That's been really fulfilling for me in helping to facilitate some of that growth um, for the people within the business. But yeah, just that restructure of going to teams or pods throughout. Let's talk about your growth as leader. It can be difficult to move past the intoxication of mechanical, literal, functional changes, pod, squad, departmental. It's impactful. It's it's meaningful. But it's one thing to do. There's not an endless well there. You execute that, and then you're done, and you need a next thing. The, the next thing is fueled by a mindset, a way you relate to the work. When you think about the art of becoming and who you want to become as a leader, what does that look like for you? What do you see yourself mapping towards as a person? I really want to be able to inspire people to not just not just be good at their jobs, but to be good in all the other things that they do outside of work. So being a good, if you're if you're a guy, being a good husband, being a good father, right? It's this whole holistic approach. Because for me, my work is not my primary. It's not to be mission. all end all. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a it's a means to an end in some in in some ways of thinking about it because I'm trying to I'm trying to have a, a business that frees me up so that I can be involved in our church so that I can be there for my kids and that uh, I, I want that for our people as well. So um, mm, yeah, mm. just trying to instill that in them and showing them that like the importance of just taking time off, the importance of prioritizing family. And when you're at work, work your butt off because you're you're doing it for this bigger purpose. It's not just so that you can get the paycheck, but it's so that you can, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording, so you can do it for your kids. That's where the motivation comes from. Um, so trying to instill that in other people, just seeing the bigger picture of why are you coming in and sitting in this cubicle for eight hours a day? There's more to it. And, um, helping them see that where to, where to place their priorities and, and, uh, focusing on other things besides just what they're doing at work. I love that you said you don't just want that for yourself. That's fantastic. When people say the idea or the phrase, which is not always said, but somewhere implicit below the surface of you work for me, you work for me is another way of saying you serve me. 
Mm-hmm. You're support. You're here to execute my will to create benefits for me. Mm-hmm. That's a perspective that can also be intoxicating. It can be hard to realize that you, what you work for me should mean is I have a set of obligations towards you. I'm committed to those obligations. And one of those obligations is cultivating you. If you think about the difference between a job and a career, what is it? At its core, let me just let me ask you. Let me park it right there. What do you think is the difference between offering a job and a career in your business? A job is just something that I do because I have to. Like I'm I'm gonna go and if I don't do it, I'll get fired. So my motivation is really do the bare minimum so that I can go home and do something else. A career would be there's another level. It's there's you're you don't have to stop at where you're at. You don't have to come and clock in at your minimum wage job. There's growth opportunities for you here. And so you're working hard for that growth, for the ability to improve yourself, um, not just to come and, and clock in so that you can leave as, as soon as possible. One of the biggest joys that I get out of being an entrepreneur is facilitating and watching other people grow. I have a staff member in the room right now that's demonstrated a huge amount of growth since she's been at the company. Mm -hmm. And that's an intangible thing that's really easy to miss as an entrepreneur because not everybody sees that. Not everybody achieves that and gets to taste that. And if you don't, you can skip out on one of the most fulfilling aspects of business And if you do, you realize that your growth in that loop, you can do over and over and over again. Everybody can do. And so the question then becomes, is that true? How many people in the business are going to be the thinkers, the builders, the A players? And then are there going to be these other classes of people that are the doers? And I don't have all the answers there. There's certainly a mix of both. There's people that can actually move between those lanes that in a season are growing and then life circumstances could change. They could need, go back into a situation where they need more stability and they can't invest as much. How do you think about the, the mix of staff and the varying growth potential and growth interest amongst your team members? You're making me think of radical candor. She talks about that in that book about your, I think she calls them rock stars and your superstars. superstars may not be it, but I remember rock stars because those are the ones that are really good at their job and they're not necessarily looking at that next level. And you can't have everyone doing that. If everyone's Mm -hmm. doing that, you're going to have a really high charge. Yeah. Or it's like, okay, I've, I've gone as high. I've hit a ceiling here. So now I'm going to, I'm just going to move on. And so you end up being, your business becomes like a stepping stone, so to speak into other opportunities for them. So you can't have everybody wanting to, you know, this is so driven that they just want to get to that next level. I, we have specifically one guy who's been an inspector with us for like six or seven years. The guy is a rock star, but he doesn't want to move up into an assistant property manager. So it's fine. Like we're totally fine with that. He's able to train other folks within that role and to instill some of what makes him really good at his job in them. And you kind of need that at some level. You need people who want to do really good in the role of Thrain without necessarily always aspiring to let me get to that um, next level. Now, you, the opposite is also true. You do need people who want to grow. It's concerning to me when I have someone who doesn't want to grow. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you were saying before, uh, serving the people, that's how I see my job. I'm, I see myself as a servant leader, right? Like uh, I exist in order to help the people who, as you say, work for me, right? I want to see them grow, but I'm also a resource for them. It's not a, you know, you work for me so that I can enjoy all of these wonderful things in life. It's, I want to, I, I want to help you. I want to take what I've learned. I want to take um, things that I see in you and help you cultivate that and grow that. So I find fulfillment um, in that as well and in doing that, but I, I'm totally fine with my rock stars as well, who are 
uh, happy just doing their job and doing it well. I think about the term alignment a lot. Alignment as another way of saying enablement, maybe. Alignment is to make sure that we're on the same page. And if we are, let's just really crush it and kill it. If we're aligned, there's like a, there's a vibration, there's a mutual resonance that can happen where you can really do some, some special stuff. And if we're not aligned, I'm really committed to finding that out mm -hmm. because it's not going to serve me. It's not going to serve you. I never want to be in a situation where I'm pressing on people and I can tell that I, that, but for me, but for my presence, but for my oversight results wouldn't be happening. My discontentment there isn't not just that I'm going to get, going to get results, but it tells me that they're not where they could be. My fundamental belief is that everybody wants to be successful. Everybody exposed to the right set of circumstances, the right opportunity, the right situation that calls, floor, calls forth their natural God-given ability, their unique ability, and allows it to flourish and grow. Everybody wants that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't find it in life. And if it's not here and I can't provide that, I want somebody to find that somewhere else. So when I think about the enablement aspect of it, I think about what Warren and Charlie, the value investors, the Oracle of Omaha, the Berkshire founders, what they tend to say is that they don't know how to cultivate great leaders, hmm. which is really, really interesting. Some of the most successful capitalists of all time saying they don't know. And to some degree, they're not really interested in cultivating great leaders, but they're really good at finding them. And when they find them, they're really good at recruiting them into grade A opportunities that are a platform for what they can do. And in some sense, I feel that. I feel that when I find somebody that's really talented, I have the same instinct that your dad did with you. I have no interest in micromanaging a really talented people. It, 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 break, it by definition breaks the premise. If I could micromanage them, then I'm not getting what I paid for. What I'm, what I'm looking for is somebody who has more capability, more context in light of the context and their dogged determination. I expect to very quickly for them to outstrip and surpass even my ability to micro, to, to micromanage and to drive performance from. There is an interesting intersection here though, with everything I just said and process and systems. You mentioned that Navy construct. And to be honest with you, that's kind of mind blowing. And that sounds insufferable to me to <laughs> work in that fashion, but I'm not dealing with nuclear reactors in my business day to day either. So when you've gone pretty darn deep in the systems and process stuff, how do you think about the level of detail and the build out in the top down decisions that you're making there versus the bottom up brilliance of cultivating talent within your organization? That's such a great question because that's something that is just a constant tension in my mind. Of we know what we know what it looks like when things run really well, so let's just make that the process and mm -hmm. do that every time. And I don't care, Jordan, that you have this thought and you want to do it this way. This is what works, and you're going to do it. And it's it's honestly it's something I'm I'm actively right now working through in my own mind as we've built out all of our processes to where I feel like they're running pretty efficiently. I don't want autom you know, just robots working and running the process. I tell the property managers all the time, um, be smarter than the process. If you're running the process and it doesn't make sense, or if you think there's a better way, please let's talk about it. There has to be constant input from the people who are running the process on a day-to-day -day basis on how they think it can be better. So that's one way that I try to uh, make it not feel like this top-down, you know, you're gonna run the process that way. And I tell them all the time too, I'm not paying you to run a process. Anyone could do that. I could hire anybody off the street. We could have a fully 
you know, remote staff, not even in the United States company running our business, but I don't think it would be nearly as successful because I'm paying you for your brain because there's so many dynamic situations that come up in property management that a process is not going to encapsulate. So you have to have thinkers. You have to have people who are able to critically think, to understand all sides of the issue and to make good decisions. And then I, as a leader, have to give them the bandwidth to make those decisions and potentially make mistakes and to have some level of tolerance for those mistakes to happen without them feeling like they have to get constant input from me or approval from me. Mm. And that, and I have to fight that sometimes because that's what I was raised on in the Navy. It was very hierarchical, very top down. And it's like, you don't, I don't look left without asking the chief. You know what I mean? Like there were times where I really had to get approval for some very silly things that I could have done and it really killed the creativity. And like you're saying, pretty insufferable. That's why I did my initial contract and I left. Uh, I, I was not interested in continuing that. I got so much from the Navy. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was it was a decision I would make every time if I could go back, I would do it again. Um, but now that I'm out of that and and trying to remove that part of the, training from and how it ingrained itself in my brain of having seen that is is a is a challenge for sure and it's something that I'm that I'm working through but trying to cultivate thinkers and a lot of that is like you said not micromanaging being willing to pull back and having that tolerance for mistakes that are going to get made so you've invested pretty seriously in systems and process and that investment is you your time your creative genius your passion how would you frame the issue of getting the yield for somebody that hears technology they heard a talk and let's be honest on some level it's pretty obvious you should be using technology in your business it has a lot of potential it can change things i think everybody gets that where people are not calibrated necessarily is the effort in order to get over the hump to get the yield because you don't want to be in a 99% position where you have a bunch of work in progress you've started you've tinkered but nothing's live that's pure waste. You got to get over the hump and get the flywheel going, but flywheels are heavy. That's why there's the metaphor. How would you calibrate somebody's expectations of what it will require from them personally and from their staff in order to get to the promised land of all these benefits? You have to figure out where they're at first. I mean, if you're just running an entire business out of your brain, it's going to take a lot more effort because you don't even have it written out on paper. You don't even have a paper checklist to, to work off of. If you're someone who's migrating from one system to another system, you already have your processes built out, the effort's going to be less. So it's totally dependent on the situation and how much that person has already done the effort and the work of getting the processes out of their brain and onto some form of hard copy, paper, digital, whatever the case is. But I, I do talk to people because they ask about um, how long did it take and it, it's it's a massive time commitment, and I do think that it requires the the either the general manager or the owner to take the time to actually do that, so that um, you you don't want to delegate that part to somebody else necessarily. I think you can delegate the input, you can delegate um, even some of the manual, just like building it out within whatever system you're going to do. But the amount of effort that it takes is it shouldn't be underestimated. Um, I think we spent six months of. Uh, a good amount of time getting everything flow charted the way that we wanted it to run, writing out the email templates and text message templates and when should this go and and really getting that out on just on paper, you know, like Google Drive before implementing it into an actual process. And I mean, you can just imagine all the emails that get sent out on a daily basis for different, you know, move in or a move out mm, um, and mm, wanting to make mm. sure that those get written well. Because what, what, I, what I do like is that I can take the way that that we want to communicate and the message that we're trying to send as a company and put that into a template that then gets sent very personally from the property manager. And so that's not taking away their creative 
juices or their their creativity in writing that email. It's just saving them a ton of time and enabling them to communicate something a lot more clearly than maybe they would if they're having to write that out 10 different times, 10 different ways throughout the day. So the the time savings that you get out of putting that initial investment in are huge, but it's it's not to be underestimated. I find that there's a great irony that's emblematic of an incomplete understanding of the issue. And the irony is around the fact that if you took the time to do all the work you just described to prepare to get in a software system, you would get a lot of, and you never did it and you never adopted the system, you'd get a lot of benefit. Absolutely. The abstracted understanding at the meta level. And when I say meta level, I mean, instead of a specific task, it is a function of the business assigned to a specific person with a role managing a type of property with certain parameters, that kind of abstraction, it takes a lot more effort to think in those terms. And frankly, if you're not going to put it in technology, you don't get the benefit of going through of all of that work, but it would, it does enrich the size of the thinking of the opportunity, which is how you get to scale doing something that can be scaled with more complexity that doesn't necessarily have to torture you personally in your brain. Hmm. Walk me through your specific process. Did you port, did you switch from one system to another? Yeah, we were built out really loosely in Asana. So Asana is a great like checklist, but it's not, there's, I think they might have conditional logic now. We weren't, if they did, we weren't using it. So it required a lot of, okay, I, know that in these scenarios, I don't do these steps, so I'm just going to skip it. You you don't want that to be in the hands of somebody who could, you know, skip a step that wasn't supposed to be skipped. That's kind of a bad place to be in. So we started looking at other tools. Uh, we, we went to Process Street. That was what I thought was going to be great. Loved the interface, loved the conditional logic, and started using Process Street. And I was maybe 25% of the way built out. For me, our, our most complicated process is our applications process. Because California, we have so many different levels of fair housing that a lot of other states don't have, like income discrimination. And so going through and making sure that those were that process was solid because I did not want to get that phone call from, you know, somebody saying DRE. Yeah, exactly. Or fair housing board or whatever. Um, so that was the process that we really focused on first. And that was rolling really well in process street. And I applications even though there's so many other processes, that is 25% of my process because it's so detailed. So I was at the point where that was running really well and and like, all right, let's start adding another one, bring another one over from Asana and roll it all up into Process Street. And then you guys had to throw a wrench and say, hey, we're doing processes now. So I started evaluating that and ultimately decided that that would be a better way for us to go, have one system we're already using the CRM side and consolidate all into just one, one program. And so if you were to articulate now the overall benefit that you're getting from making this investment, what is what is the yield, not just in terms of efficiency, but in terms of how it affects you run the company? Is it impacting who you hire? Is it impacting the culture beyond just something like DLER or um, profit margin or something like that? What's the more holistic picture of how you think about how it's impacted how the business is run? From a management standpoint, you get a lot more clarity on what people are doing. What's assigned to them? How long is it taking them to get things done? Because I could have you know, a total misconception on how long it takes to do something because I'm too far removed from it. So I think you should be able to do a move out inspection, get a, you know, we do a video for the owner, show them everything that's going on. That should take you like three hours, right? No, it takes like six, but you don't see that unless um, you have some kind of visibility into it. So the clarity that I've gotten of seeing, you know, why is this person able to get two times as many things done as this person in the same role? And, uh, through reporting and just through being able to see, 
which tasks are assigned to them and how long it takes them to complete things has been really helpful as well. So that helps it from a management standpoint of clarity on what's going on within the business. From a personnel standpoint, a morale standpoint, or a culture standpoint, everyone loves the pro like they know that the process is there to help them to benefit them it's not a something that they are enslaved to where it's like oh i have to do this because that's what this dumb thing tells me i have to do and i would rather do it you know another way people have really come around to understand that this is a tool that is here to assist me i can be so much more productive in what i'm doing by utilizing this process and i i think i, I could be completely off here but i think that it motivates people to um, to like their job more and to be there, there's more clarity in what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis because it's not trying to remember things or keep it on a checklist. A lot of it can be pre-programmed to tell you when things need to happen at what specific time, what communication piece needs to happen. And it's not dependent on that person to keep all that stuff in their head and remember to do it. So it makes the job easier. And if you're able to manage more properties, the way our pay structure is for our property managers, you make more money. So if you can utilize this tool, it helps you to be more productive than you as a person are actually able to make more. And that's been motivating as well. I think if I could speak for our property managers. And how did the organization get to that point? Because that's not everybody's experience. A lot of folks deal with resistance and they don't get certain staff members over the hump. So what were the soft skills? I think it's delusional to act like that everything you just described is a function of like, you picked the best software. I think you picked, right. made a good choice, but that's really a, a separate soft skill conversation. Walk me through how that happened and how long it took. So we were built that way. I mean, m the way my dad built the business was very process driven. I mean, he was he was all in on Asana when they were originally using that before I came on. And that it, we do a weekly company meeting where we talk about what's going on with our processes, what can we do to make it better? And so it was ingrained in the company mm, culture. Mm. We even had, uh, when we hire people, we have them, we test them on how well they can follow details within processes because some things are, are very important that happen in a certain sequence. Can they do that? So we actually test them on that because a lot of it is testing attention to detail. Are you going to be able to um, follow these steps consistently? So uh, it started just the way my dad built it was very process driven. That was a, that was a focus and a, and a goal. And so it's been a more natural evolution as we've gone into other programs, other systems. It's like, yeah, we're just taking the same mentality, the same values that of how we run the business. And we're just packaging it differently. It looks a little bit different. Lead simple looks very different than Asana, but the idea behind what you're doing is still the same. We're still a process-driven company, and that's been ingrained within our culture. What counsel do you have for how to build processes? There's this nexus between a very literal and wooden process that is attempting to manage everything that could go wrong, every use case down to the nth degree, versus a very fast and loose process where you're almost wondering if you're getting the benefit because it's so generic. How do you calibrate where to dial? No two processes are the same. Um, applications is one where it's like, I can pretty much perceive almost everything that could go wrong. So that one is incredibly detailed in the sense of if they give you this specific document from this income source, you're going to do this with it. So that's that's very like, we got to do it the same every time. Other processes are not, that's not the case. So it doesn't have to be that detailed. And it can be uh, smothering, uh, oppressive to people who are having to work in a process that is overly detailed in that way. But if it's too loose, then what's the point? I can remember, 
okay, you give me a process with five steps. I can memorize those steps. Mm -hmm. I don't need to mm -hmm. follow this. And so then it becomes something that you almost ignore or worse, instead of following the process as you're doing the job, you go back after the fact and check all the boxes and say, I did this. That What's the point of that? That's just taking your time. So there's that balance. It's understanding what the process is. What are the risks associated with if something goes wrong in this process? And can I predict that? And can I build that in to the process to try and prevent some of those bad things from happening? Or do I, you know, also which role is assigned to each task? So if there's one where something could go wrong, you want the property manager doing that, maybe not remote team member or somebody who's newer, an assistant, something like that. You want that to be assigned to someone who's has more experience. And then the ability to add in stops where it's like, hey, if this, if you get to this point and you don't know what to do, schedule a meeting with your manager and talk about it and get input on it. Um, if it's something that can wait for your one-on-one, -on -one, great. If not, then uh, there's actually a task I will tell you to schedule a call with the manager to get input, get feedback before progressing. So you can add that into. Let's talk about sales marketing. I've observed you as a really serious student of business. Can you talk to me about some of the ideas, concepts, frameworks, trial and error that's produced yield for you in the sales marketing side of the business? Sure. I decided that paying the guy to run our Google ads was really expensive. So I said, I'll go certify myself and I'll run my own Google ads. I'll make my own ads. And um, that was really hard, but it was great because I learned that whole side. I understand the back end of AdWords and I think it's called something else now, but at the time it was AdWords. And um, try, so going that that route, what we really, what I really learned was that education is the best way to market. So writing blog posts that just as when I was doing sales for the business, because that was one of the roles I had at one time, I would just take the questions that people ask and turn them into a blog post. They ask you answer, Marcus Sheridan, this is right. We've all read that book by now, but it's really hard to take that and actually do it because it takes a lot of time, but that's been the most successful marketing piece for us. And what I love about marketing is and sales is this is not a, let me twist your arm into being our client because we're turning down like 50% of people who call us for property management anyway, because we determine in the discovery call that this is not going to be a good fit. So trying to frame that before they even call us by having the content there that says, this is our philosophy. I'm not trying to sell you on anything, but this is how we handle a tenant who's not paying. This is how we handle move-ins and move-outs. And putting that on our website for everybody to see, having that be very clear, very educational is what I've found that I really love about sales and marketing. It's just, it's a, it's a educational experience for um, the buyer. I love that. Education is one of the gifts of being in this industry is being able to frame the issue, frame the buying criteria. You mentioned previously that you're selling that that connection, a family-run business, et cetera. If you're going to expand more broadly to somebody that doesn't run a family-run business and is a completely different market, different focus, what would you say in general would be the approach to setting the buying criteria for prospects to position yourself to stand out against uh, other companies that are really just competing on price? Hmm. I think when a lot of people are calling for property management service, they don't even know what they're buying. They have no clue. So you have to you have to frame it for that. You have to show them like, this is this is what we do and why it's important. Because honestly, all of these things you could do yourself. So there has to be a better reason than just, well, you don't want to have to deal with your tenants, right? So you should hire us. That's not good enough for me because I'm fine. Like some rentals, you don't get calls from tenants like ever. And so that guy could, maybe you have a, a family friend that you're going to place in the rental. Wouldn't advise doing that. But if you do that, you probably don't need me. So um, making sure that they understand what exactly they're buying and then how can we get you, because in our market, it's mostly accidental landlords. So this would be more for people who are in a similar market. 
how can I get you to think like an investor, to not be thinking about the property like you are um, an, a, so, so a homeowner who lived there and has this emotional connection to it. So reframing it to take somebody who doesn't know what they're buying, make sure they understand holistically what it is that we do, and then taking their mindset and changing them from, I just want to avoid tenant calls to I'm an investor and my property manager is looking out for all of my interests, you know, we're fiduciary and that that's going to be a better way for me to go than doing it on my own, which I, which I could do. This is a better solution. What are some books and resources that have really impacted your career? I've been on uh, a huge Cal Newport kick mm. lately. So deep work was the first book of his that I read. So good. They can't ignore you was the second one. A world without email world without email. I just finished, uh, yesterday actually on audible. That one was great. Talk about process, right? That's a great book that I was like, oh, cool, we're doing this. <laughs> um, the title was a little bit, A World Without Email, is, it's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit deceptive. And even in his uh, uh, conclusion, he says, you know, he, avoiding the hyperactive hive mind, right? That's what we're trying to do. So that was, a, that was a great book. And then on a personal level, Digital Minimalism, which was another book that he wrote that was really impactful on me and just removing distractions, helping people and myself included within the business to focus on what their skill set is and to avoid the distractions, to communicate better as a team so that we can be more productive and more effective. I love that. Cal Newport's body of work has definitely been impactful. And it's something I feel like is, uh, it's like one of those things on your shoulder where there are times where you catch yourself and I, and I realize that I have been effectively eating Twinkies of productivity yes. rather than getting that nutrients that comes from real material focus, I think it does come down to goals and being clear on where you're trying to go. So when you think about goals for the business and where you're looking to map towards in the next two, three, four years, what comes to mind? I'm not focused on door growth. Um, I feel like we're at a good stage right now where we, we have the systems and, and the structure in place for our people to where we're managing the size that we are really well. I want to focus more on profitability, which is kind of the, you know, the default answer. You know, we want to, we want to be more profitable. Um, but I really want to grow the people within the business to provide better service. I think that there's going to be, as I'm seeing what's going on with bigger players coming into the space and even just reading reviews on some of the bigger management companies that are multi-state, there's a lot, a lack of personal connection, relationship, and service that's happening in those. And so how, how, do, I, how do I train my people, uh, develop my people into good relationship developers themselves with our owners and with our tenants? So I really would just want to do a better job of having um, better customer service through those relationships. And I think charging for you know, the, the services that we're doing in order to increase profitability is, is, uh, is important as well. But for us, it's going to be a, an, an increase in customer service. I love that answer. And I love seeing the vim and vigor that you're bringing to the industry and the way that you are really delivering on the promise that generationally the industry will change and grow. That's the bet that we're making with the tech that we're building. And our focus is an assumption, an implicit assumption that the nature of the work is going to change mm -hmm. from a specific task, a one-off task for a one-off day, as opposed to building the rails through which the work flows through the organization and goes from raw state to being completed I see that you're really focused on building these rails and, and infrastructure, and it's inspiring. And I hope that we see more folks jumping on that bandwagon. So love working with you, brother. Yeah, you too. It's been good. Let's leave it there. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is the question you want to ask me? 
Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.